Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I'm excited to announce that we just launched my new book, The Fasting Transformation, a functional guide to burn fat, heal your body, and transform your life with intermittent and extended fasting. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I'm a huge advocate of fasting. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting helps balance your blood sugar and improve your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in the body, how it optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning, and activates stem cells for deep cellular healing. Guys, I go through how fasting, I go through all the best science and research on intermittent and extended fasting and how to utilize it to help prevent or even heal from cancer, autoimmune conditions, digestive disorders, and neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Guys, the book goes over all the various research and practical applications for daily intermittent fasting, partial fasting, and extended fasting. This book is designed to help inspire and empower you to embrace a fasting lifestyle while also enjoying tasty and healthy foods at the right time to improve your metabolic flexibility and energy efficiency so you can burn fat for fuel and have all-day energy. You are going to love this book, so check it out. You can get it on Amazon.com. We also have a website, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. That's drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. You can learn more about it. And of course, you can pick the book up on Amazon. You're going to love it. Thanks so much, guys. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on 10 signs of aging poorly and what you can do about them. A lot of you guys have been writing into us telling us you want more strategies on aging, anti-aging, aging effectively, and that's why I put together this presentation. You guys are going to love this information. It's really vital. I go through nutrition. I go through all different types of lifestyle strategies that can help reduce your biological age. So you can't change your chronological age, but you can certainly change your biological age. And we'd all like to be 20, 30 years younger biologically right? Once we get, you know, I I should say, once we get over 50, we would love to be 20, 30 years younger biologically than we are chronologically. And it's certainly possible if you put the right principles in action. You're going to learn about those in this podcast. You're going to love it. And please share this with somebody that you know and that you care about. This information is life-saving. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. And let's go into the show. 
Well, hey, everybody. Today, we're talking about 10 signs of aging poorly and what to do about them. And so we all want to age well, but there's something that really affects our ability to age well. We call it inflammation or the term inflammaging, where this immune process of inflammation is actually accelerating the aging process in our body. This affects our brain and causes all different types of conditions, including things like neurodegenerative conditions like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. It affects our heart. It affects our thyroid, our lungs, digestive system, kidneys, our liver, our skin, our bones, all the different regions of our body are susceptible to this immune process called inflammation. Now, inflammation itself is actually a part of the healing process of the body, and it is a life saving mechanism. It helps prevent against infections from killing us quickly, and it helps different areas heal. However, when inflammation is turned on and not turned off, when it's chronic, when it's elevated for long periods of time, it breaks down tissues of our body and accelerates the aging process of these regions. And so over time, inflammation will cause the, the presence of these senescent or aged what we call zombie cells. Um, and the reason why we call them these zombie cells or these senescent cells is because they are aged to the point where they, they normally would have died off, but the body's mechanisms for basically healing and regenerating these cells or killing them is dysfunctional. And so now these cells are just rogue and they are causing protein and metabolism imbalances. They are um, spewing out in, inflammatory cytokines. They are, you know, they, they're, they have dysfunctional mitochondria in them that are dependent on burning sugar for fuel. They're producing a lot of oxidative stress within our system. And so we've got to really get rid of these zombie cells, these senescent cells. It's a big part of aging successfully. Now, here are 10 signs that we may not be aging well. Number one is fatigue and lethargy. And we're going to go into all of these. Joint pain is number two. If we have chronic joint pain, if we're feeling fatigued and lethargic for a chronic period of time, you may have like a short term, like let's say you get a virus, you get a cold or a flu, you may feel fatigued and lethargic. But if you're having this consistently for you know two, three, four weeks, months at a time, that's a sign you're not aging properly. If you have brain fog and forgetfulness on a consistent basis, if you have unexplained weight gain, if you have bone and muscle loss, postural changes, um, varicose veins, that can be another sign, tinnitus and hearing loss, skin and complexion changes, and poor sleep quality. These things are chronic. You're experiencing these a lot. There's signs you're not aging right. And so one of the key things we have to look at is your mitochondria, how well your mitochondria are functioning. We know that there are certain factors that lead to the damage of mitochondria. That's poor diet, chronic stress, chronic infections, toxins, poor sleep, and just the aging process in general, particularly you know for aging and not taking good care of our body, it's going to lead to mitochondrial dysfunction. And when mitochondria are not functioning as well, they have a lowered energy production. They increase the amount of metabolic waste and oxidative stress. And they also lower their overall antioxidant production. So they're not able to protect the cell and the DNA as effectively as they were when they were healthy. And over time, that is going to lead to metabolic inflexibility where the mitochondria are not going to be good at, good at burning fat for fuel. So we're going to be dependent on steady doses of sugar, right? Glucose to produce energy through 
anaerobic glycolysis because we're not good at burning fat for fuel through oxidative phosphorylation. And that's going to cause more oxidative stress, more protein damage, and uh, overall dysfunctional energy production. And it's going to lead to chronic disease in our body. I mean, the brain is the most concentrated area of mitochondria. So when the mitochondria start going down, we often notice lethargy, low energy. You know, if you're feeling fatigue, that's typically a brain-related symptom. Um, you know, your brain's not able to drive up enough energy, and so you feel tired. And that's a mitochondrial issue. We got to look at the mitochondria for this. And then, of course, you know, things like cardiovascular disease, the heart is also concentrated with mitochondria. So if the heart's not functioning as well as it should, it's a mitochondrial issue. So we've got to look at these. Now, joint dysfunction over time, if we are having a lot of inflammation and developing a lot of these senescent cells, the joint cartilage will break down and we'll get inflammation in the joints, degeneration in the joints where we'll start to develop bone spurs, uh, disc loss in our knees and our spine, uh, in our hips, different areas like that. Chronic inflammation that will drive up pain in our body. So if we're noticing chronic joint pain, again, a sign that we're not aging successfully. Dementia, you know, so if we're not thinking right, you know, and some of the major factors that increase the risk of dementia, chronic stress, sleep quality, blood pressure, nutritional quality, if your blood sugar and your insulin levels are elevated, that's an issue. Homocysteine, well, this is a big lab value that I look at. If your homocysteine levels are over nine, that's a sign that you're a higher risk of dementia, stroke, heart disease. Homocysteine is a breakdown product of the protein uh, methionine and should be converted into glutathione. It's part of you know the phase two liver detox system to produce glutathione. And when homocysteine levels are elevated, it's typically a sign that we're not methylating effectively. We need certain methyl donors, B2, B6, folate, B12, in order to convert homocysteine into glutathione. Infections and just inflammation in general uh, increase our risk of dementia and toxin exposure. The more toxins we're exposed to, the higher risk we are of developing dementia. Now, looking at insulin resistance, this is at the root of many, many, many different chronic diseases. Um, and this is one of the key things any sort of functional medicine practitioner or functional health practitioner is going to look at is how sensitive your cells are to insulin. And what happens here is over time, the more that your blood sugar is elevated, the more insulin is produced and the more inflammation is promoted, which increases cravings for carbs. And then you consume them, your blood sugar goes up, pancreas creates more insulin. Over time, the cells become more resistant to insulin. It's just this continual vicious cycle. When I'm looking at lab tests, I look at your fasting insulin. So you fast for 12 to 14 hours. Let's say you finish dinner at 7 p.m. You go in and get your blood work done at 8 a.m. the next morning. You haven't eaten anything since 7 p.m. Your fasting insulin should roughly be between like one and five, maybe up to six. You know, if it's up eight, nine in that range, we are looking at, uh, you know, high fasting insulin. And if it's up over 10, we have very significantly high insulin levels. Okay. So very, you know, major insulin resistance. Now, another factor I look at is your hemoglobin A1C, which is basically like a 90-day measurement of how much glycation or damage has been done to your blood cells. And obviously, we don't want a lot of glycation. We don't want a lot of damage done to our blood cells. When you have elevated blood sugar, the sugar 
damages those blood cells. It's something called glycation. And so the hemoglobin A1C is looking at the percentage of red blood cells that have this glycated damage. Ideally, we want to see this between 4.5 and 5.2, and ideally under 5% of your cells that are glycated. If you're in that, you know, 5.4, 5.5 and above range, that is a sign of insulin resistance, and that's a sign of glycation and, you know, poor blood sugar stability. And if you're up over 5.7, we call that prediabetes. And if you're up over 6% of your cells being glycated, that is diabetes. And so obviously we want to get there. So we want to look at this and keep that under 5% ideally. Now here are signs of insulin resistance. You tend to be overweight, particularly more abdominal weight. So more of your weight is in your abdomen as opposed to like your hips. That's typically a sign of insulin resistance. You have trouble losing weight. You exercise, you eat right, but you still can't seem to get the weight off that can be a sign, or you just think about a cupcake and you gain weight. It could be a sign of insulin resistance. You have a very large appetite. It's very easy to eat a lot of food. You crave sweets after meals. You eat a meal, but then you're still craving something sweet. And then when you eat that, whatever that sweet thing is, it doesn't relieve the cravings. Classic sign of insulin resistance. You feel more tired after meals. And this is because your body is not getting, even though you ate all this food, you're not getting the sugar into the cells because you're not, your insulin is, is the, it's, it's the key that unlocks the door to get the sugar into the cells so you can produce energy. But if you're insulin resistant, you're not able to get it in there. So you're still tired and it's very energy demanding to produce all this insulin and have all this circulating blood sugar. And um, that's all very energy demanding. And so now you're tired. You need a nap after the meal. You oftentimes have frequent thirst and an urge to urinate. Uh, hormone problems like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is classically associated with high insulin and high testosterone. In fact, for females, if you have estrogen or testosterone dominance, right, you have high testosterone. So for females, PCOS, uh, possibly like some facial hair, a little bit of facial hair, acne, those can be a signs of high testosterone. Or if you have high estrogen, which can be issues like endometriosis, can be an estrogen dominant issue, um, sometimes having excess weight on your hips and, and legs and things like that, can be a sign of high estrogen menstrual problems, right? So PMS and uh, pain, a lot of pain, you know, heavy bleeding during menstruation. Those can all be signs of estrogen dominance. These can all be related to insulin resistance. For males, it's usually a low testosterone. And that's because for males, we are activating, when we have insulin resistance, we activate an enzyme called aromatase, which takes testosterone and converts it into estrogen. So for males, they'll end up with high estrogen and they will have low testosterone and all the problems that come with low testosterone, which means mental lethargy, low energy, low drive, um, often, you know, low libido, sometimes excess weight gain and um, depression, as well as even the development of like male breasts, for example, breast tissue uh, can all be signs of low testosterone for males and associated with insulin resistance. Also acne, skin tags, any sort of skin pigmentation changes, very much associated with insulin resistance, high blood pressure and high triglycerides associated with insulin resistance. We gotta get that under control. And we know that visceral fat or the type of fat that 
Um, if you have that extra abdominal fat, that sort of fat that's around those organs there is highly inflammatory fat. It produces a lot. See, we used to think fat was just a reservoir for energy, but we actually realize it's part of the endocrine system and that fat cells themselves can actually increase, they actually release pro-inflammatory cytokines, these uh, inflammatory messenger proteins, these cytokines, which then drives up our risk of dementia, cardiovascular disease, again, creating more insulin resistance, uh, you know, greater risk of diabetes and cancer when we have that visceral fat. So we really have to get that off. You know, we've got to eat right, got to exercise. We'll go into all of that in order to age successfully. Also osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is actually associated with insulin resistance and also low stomach acid, the inability to produce enough stomach acid. And stomach acid is so important for breaking down and digesting proteins effectively, chelating and absorbing minerals like calcium, magnesium, uh, chloride, different things like that, phos phosphates, which are really critical for bone structure. So if we're not producing enough stomach acid, we're not going to absorb those minerals well. We're not going to absorb the protein well that are that are bones need in order to be strong. And if we're insulin resistant, we're not able to really get the minerals and uh, nutrients into the into the bone cells so they can be used to really build strong strong bones. So osteoporosis, another sign of poor aging associated with insulin resistance and low stomach acid, gut dysfunction, different issues like that. Varicose veins, varicose veins are kind of these like, you know, big bluish types of veins that you might see popping out. And they're a sign that of weak and damaged veins, which can become swollen and twisted. And it's a reflection of oxidative stress and inflammation in the blood vessels. So if the blood vessels are undergoing a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation, which is associated with glycation. Remember how I talked about that? You know, we want to see that hemoglobin A1C down below 5%. You know, if it's up five and a half percent, right? 6%, that is going to cause more damage. Just more of these molecules are going to be damaging to the endothelial lining of the blood vessels and the veins, cause more oxidative stress, and they can weaken the, the, the uh, valves in the vein and cause things like varicose veins and edema, um, also damaging the kidneys, causing poor filtration from the kidneys and causing more pooling in our lower extremities, which can obviously put more stress on the veins and cause varicose veins. So um, insulin resistance is a really big factor when it comes to varicose veins and edema. Tinnitus, so many people as they're aging start to develop tinnitus and that is the perception of noise or ringing in the ears. And a common cause of this is damage to the inner ear hair. So there's little inner ear hair that are associated with uh, picking up noises and that can become inflamed and damaged. And that oftentimes associated with infections, particularly oral infections like uh, root canals or you know, different dental types of infections can oftentimes get up into the uh, vestibular auricular nerve area in your ear and cause more inflammation in that area. And there, that's also kind of like a referral area for inflammation coming from the mouth. So we see that often. Um, also deficiencies like B12 deficiencies are associated with tinnitus. So that can be a factor as well. And just chronic inflammation throughout the body that can damage those nerve endings and cause this sort of uh, experience of tinnitus. So these are all signs, again, 
of inflammation. You know, tinnitus is is inflammation in a part of our brain where we are sensing, uh, you know, hearing and and auditory information, and so that's a factor there. Young skin and aging skin. So we know young skin has really strong collagen and a really strong epidermis and strong cross fibril, uh, cross fibers in the dermis. And as that, as we develop more or experience more oxidative stress and inflammation, it breaks down the collagen and the elastin fibers within the epidermis and the dermis. And that makes the skin weak and allows wrinkles to form. So, you know, part of aging successfully is keeping oxidative stress and inflammation down. Another part is activating something called autophagy, where the body breaks down these damaged cells. So when cells do become damaged, which, you know, pretty much every cell will get damaged over time from oxidative stress, even if you live a super healthy lifestyle, the body has natural mechanisms to get rid of those older damaged cells, those senescent cells. One of those mechanisms is autophagy, where we break down the um, the proteins within the cell that are damaged, the mitochondria, um, different proteins in there that are dysfunctional. We take the raw materials and we reform new healthy uh, organelles. So we're it's like recycling, taking out the bad, you know, and turning it into good. And that's kind of what we're doing. And, and that's really powerful for helping to strengthen those collagen and elastin fibers and giving us really healthy, youthful skin is activating this mechanism of skin autophagy. And I have a lot of content on that on my website. If you look up skin autophagy, got videos, podcast, and uh, article on that topic. So you can look at that. So now sleep is super important. Uh, we know that sleep allows our brain to detox. So if we're not sleeping well, we're not going to be able to detoxify our brain and we're not going to activate autophagy in our brain. So we're going to end up with a lot more trash in our brain, causing more oxidative stress and poor sleep has been associated with dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all the different neurodegenerative conditions. When we sleep, we activate a part of our uh, immune system. It's actually the brain's own immune slash lymphatic system. It's called the glial system. And these glial cells rush in, they scavenge and break down, you know, different waste products and different um, abnormal proteins in the brain. And they help shunt those things out. So they help flush out the dirty fluid molecules from inside the brain tissue through a network of pathways. They also clean the cerebrospinal fluid. And um, there's lymphatic vessels that surround the brain that deliver that waste to the lymphatic system, which rids the body of toxins, waste, and other unwanted material. So the brain cells themselves are performing this, this uh, autophagy, this self-eating mechanism, getting rid of damaged bits of protein and metabolic waste. And that's so important to, to have take place when we're sleeping. That's why sleep is so critical. So if we're not sleeping well, we're not detoxifying the brain. Toxins are building up and that is going to accelerate the process of cognitive decline. Now, top 12 inflammatory lab markers. I talked about a few of these and I go through a lot more detail in these in other podcasts and articles, um, but high sensitivity C-reactive protein. I like to see that under one, okay? Under one, HSCRP. If you're getting a blood test done for that, it should be under one. Hemoglobin A1C, I already talked about that. I like to see it under 5.2%, ideally under 5% for optimal range. Fasting insulin, I like to see that between one and five, okay? Maybe up to six or seven. I'm, I don't 
I don't get freaked out, you know, if it's like six or seven. If it's up eight or above though, hey, we have an issue here, right? We have insulin resistance. Serum ferritin, normally for a woman, that should be somewhere around 50 to 150. You know, for a man, maybe 75 to 150. If it's up over 150, we have a problem. That's a sign of inflammation. Red blood cell width should be under 13%. Uh, homocysteine. So our red blood cell width is RB. W that you'll see on a like a complete blood count. When the red blood cells are becoming glycated and inflamed and there's oxidative stress damaging it, they get really wide. And so when they get wide, that's a sign of inflammation. Homocysteine, we talked about that, should be under nine. Uh, ESR, which is erythrocyte sedimentation rate and your platelets. ESR should be under 10. And that's kind of like the coagulation of your blood. That should be under 10 millimeters per hour. You know, if it's if it's taking your blood longer, um, you know, your blood cells uh, are, are, are staying very coagulated. That's a sign of inflammation. Um, platelets, I believe usually we're looking at that like under, it's like 175 to 250 is usually like the sweet spot range for platelets. You know, we don't want too much or too little. Both of those can be issues. LDH, lactate dehydrogenase, which is a critical enzyme that's associated with glycolytic uh, energy production. So if this is too low, um, under 140, it's a sign that our body's not good at breaking down glycogen and using it as a fuel source. So we may be much more likely to develop things like um, reactive hypoglycemia, and so we may need to, uh, you know, really be consuming meals more often. If, if your LDH is real low, you're not a good candidate for doing, you know, extended fasting, you know, more intense intermittent fasting strategies. We need to be more careful with your blood sugar. Whereas if your LDH is up over 180, then um, that's a sign of inflammation. It should be ideally between 140 and 180. Otherwise, you know, it could be a sign of inflammation in your system and poor metabolic flexibility where your body's just not good at using fat for fuel. Um, neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio. So when you are inflamed, your neutrophils go up, your lymphocytes go down over time. And so we're looking at that ratio to see where you're at with inflammation, your liver enzymes, uh, which I'll go through in a, in a future podcast video in a lot more detail there, but I do have a lot of content on my website on your ALT, AST, GGT. You know, typically these things should be between like 10 and, and 26, somewhere in that range. Um, your lipid panel, so your LDL, HDL, triglycerides. You know, usually I'm looking at LDL to HDL looking, it should be like a, a three to one or or less ratio, three parts LDL, two part, or I'm sorry, one part HDL or less. So like if your LDL was 160 and your HDL was, you know, 75, that's a great rate. That's a great ratio. It's like a little over two to one ratio and your triglyceride to HDL ratio should be two or less and ideally close to one. So like if your HDL was 75, your triglycerides really should be, you know, roughly around 75, 80, somewhere in that range. Okay. Vitamin D3, we want to see that somewhere between 50 and hundred nanograms per milliliter. Okay, somewhere in that range is a really good spot to get that D3. So that was a quick overview, but you know, again, I do have a lot of content going through those labs in more detail. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Paleo Valley. They make the most powerful, pure vitamin C supplement you can get. 
Because unlike most vitamin C supplements containing synthetic ingredients that are created in the lab, Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is made from three of the most potent whole food sources of vitamin C on the planet. Nothing weird, just food. Check them out at paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off today. Top anti-inflammatory foods. These are the kinds of foods we want to be consuming on a regular basis to age successfully. Grass-fed, pasture-fed meat. Um, you got to get a lot of good, good quality protein. It's so important for aging successfully. But you also want to practice intermittent fasting because if you're eating a lot of protein all the time throughout the day, that can activate more mTOR, more the mTOR pathway, which can accelerate the aging process and accelerate cancer growth. So I'll talk about how to use fasting, but when you do eat, you want to consume a lot of good quality protein, grass-fed, pasture-raised, meat, poultry, wild game, lemons, limes, and berries. These things are loaded with vitamin C and bioflavonoids and anthocyanins and oligic acid and different compounds, resveratrol, that are extremely powerful for your immune system, really great for your gut and really, really good for keeping inflammation under control. So lemons, limes, you know, you could squeeze those in water. Um, you could put them on salads and then consuming berries, having like a berry protein shake or something like that on a regular basis. Really good. Avocados, avocado oil. So avocados are great, healthy fat loaded with fat soluble nutrients like vitamin A and vitamin E. Um, and, uh, Avocado is also very rich in beta carotenes and other carotenoids like lutein and zeaxanthin and uh, prebiotic fiber, magnesium, potassium. So really good for the body. Green tea with the um, catechin polyphenols, really renowned for healthy aging. And that's something good to take, uh, good to consume for activating more autophagy is green tea. Non-starchy vegetables. So that's going to be your broccoli, cauliflowers, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. These things are low in sugar and starch, but very high in nutrients, particularly the kind of nutrients that help slow down the aging process. Things like sulforaphane and indole-3-carbonyl and things like that, that are really good for balancing hormones and detoxifying the body. Great for phase two liver detox and slow down the aging process. Turmeric, great antioxidant that herb that you can use. Wild-caught fish loaded with omega-3 fats. I, I consume wild-caught sockeye salmon. My family does. It's one of the best loaded, again, with omega-3 fatty acids and things like astaxanthin, which is a powerful antioxidant. Bone broth and vegetable broth, so good for the body. Um, you've got a lot of glycine in there, which is critical for phase two liver detoxification. You've got proline, hydroxyproline, great for gut and skin health. And uh, you've also got glu glucosaminoglycans, which are really great for joints. Um, you know, really all the, the compounds that you find in the collagen, great for joints, your gut health, skin, hair. Um, so bone broth, really good for the body. If for some reason you don't want to do bone broth, vegetable broth can also be very helpful. You get a lot of the essences of the plants, um, like onions or whatever you're doing to, to make the vegetable broth, celery, and it can be very, very healing for the body. Apple cider vinegar, so good for stimulating stomach acid production. Taking a little apple cider vinegar and water before a meal helps stimulate stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes, helps support a healthy microbiome. 
So apple cider vinegar can be really therapeutic. Also great for blood sugar stability too, taking that like with a meal or before a meal. Ginger, you can drink ginger tea or chew on a ginger root before a meal to activate these digestive juices to help with good digestion. Organic extra virgin olive oil and olives. So getting a really good high quality extra virgin olive oil loaded with vitamin E and polyphenols, so good for the body and healthy fats. Getting some good quality olives, black, green olives, um, you know, and, and putting those on your foods and on your salads and stuff like that. So good for your body. Fermented vegetables like sauerkraut, kimchi can be very good. Coconut oil, coconut butter, coconut milk, coconut flakes, all your coconut fats, your herbs, basil, oregano, thyme, rosemary, garlic, onions, and chives, all can be really supportive. Help your liver with detoxification, help activate autophagy, support your body's defense against oxidative stress. So we want to be consuming those. We want to avoid refined grains, uh, deep fried foods, your grain fed, your kind of commercially raised animal products. And then, you know, you got to look out for these refined vegetable oils that you find in like commercial salad dressings, margarine, different things like that. So you're looking to avoid corn oil, soybean, safflower, sunflower, sesame, peanut, canola. You want to avoid those types of things and consume a lower carbohydrate diet in general. Um, you know, you don't need to go necessarily go into ketosis or be on a keto diet, especially if you're practicing intermittent fasting, because your body is going to be metabolically flexible when you are fasting, uh, because you're going longer periods of time without food. So you'll get into ketosis. And then when you are eating, you can consume higher amounts of berries and more nutrient dense, um, fruit and things like that to get your carbohydrates. And so we want to be able to cycle back and forth between ketosis and glucose. Ketones are really in a clean energy source and they're a preferred energy source for your mitochondria because we can produce a tremendous amount of energy from ketones with very little oxidative stress. Whereas glucose, we produce very little energy and we produce a lot of oxidative stress. Now, we need to be good at using glucose for energy, like when we're exercising and we don't have the presence, we don't have enough oxygen. We need to be good at using sugar, but we, for the most part, wanna be burning fat and ketones for an energy source. And when ketones are elevated in our bloodstream, they also act as an epigenetic influencer, meaning that they help influence gene pathways they turn down inflammation in the brain in particular, very, very powerful uh, effect on what we call the neuroinflammasome, turning down, shutting down inflammation in the brain, which helps you think sharper and clearer and helps reduce your risk of degenerative brain diseases. So really powerful from that perspective. And eating a lower carb, high protein, high fat diet will help with producing ketones and then also intermittent fasting and you know keeping stress and sleep. Uh, all very, very important. Let's see. So I didn't really talk here yet about fasting, but guys, I'm a huge advocate of intermittent fasting. So I would recommend doing your best to try to do like a 16 hour or 18 hour fast at least three days a week. So if you're able to do it like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where you eat your meals between let's say 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Or if you can tighten it even further, go you know, fast until 12 p.m. and eat a meal at 12, maybe one at three o'clock and, and then eat one at five or just do two meals, right? And eat, eat more calories in those meals at 12 and let's say five o'clock. And so that way you have this narrow eating window that is going to give your body a lot of time to develop insulin sensitivity, 
to drive down inflammation, to activate autophagy, again, where your body breaks down those old damaged cellular proteins, gets rid of those senescent cells, and um, really helps your body keep oxidative stress and inflammation down. And so I would recommend doing that at least three times a week. And then one day a week, doing like a 24-hour fast where you go from lunch to lunch or dinner to dinner. So if you eat lunch at 12, you fast until lunch at 12 the next day, for example. Um, you just consume water, or herbal tea, or black coffee, You know, nothing with, with any significant amount of calories. And um, that's going to really help your body turn up autophagy to the next level. And so I recommend doing that once a week. And, um, you know, on the other days, you, you don't necessarily have to do a 16 to 18 hour fast every day. You might feel good doing it on a daily basis, but try to do that at least three times a week and you'll see significant results, significant changes and improvement in your aging process. And especially if you add in that one 24 hour fast, that will really take you to the next level. So highly recommend it. Tips for a great night's sleep. Really important that we're sleeping good. So keep your room cool. Keep your room as dark as possible. Use a sleep mask. Avoid caffeine within eight hours of sleeping. Don't eat within three hours of sleeping. So try to you know curtail your eating in the evening. Um, you know so you can get really good quality sleep. Get sun exposure during the day. Exercise regularly, but not too late at night. Avoid bright light after sunset and wind down at 9 p.m. So that way you can ideally be getting into bed around 10. Dim your lights really prepare your body for good sleep. Get out and move on a regular basis. I'm a huge advocate of moving on a daily basis. Movement itself is so important for oxygenation into your tissues, your lymphatic drainage, good quality circulation, helps your brain, your mood, your memory, helps really uh, balance key brain neurotransmitters. It reduces stress and tension. So great for brain, great for body. And so movement's key. And then I also recommend doing exercise, particularly resistance training exercise. So as people start to age, they can lose muscle mass and we call that sarcopenia. And that is a big issue when it comes to aging well or not aging well. You want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible for as long as possible. So doing strength training and getting in a regimen where you're getting strength training in three or four days a week is a really good idea. I would recommend doing something like an upper body workout on Monday and Thursday, where you're doing push and pull exercises for your upper body, and then doing lower body like squats and lunges, um, deadlifts, things like that for your lower body on Tuesdays and Fridays. Give yourself at least two days, ideally like three days rest between muscle groups. Meaning if you work your upper body on Monday, you wouldn't want to work it out again for at least you know, three days. So that would be like Thursday or Friday or something like that. So three to four days, um, hit that muscle group again, and that will keep it adapting and keep your body really building muscle and prevent overtraining. So take a walk every day. And then, you know, again, two days a week, three days apart, three or four days apart, do upper body, three or four days apart, do lower body. So again, it could be Monday and Thursday, you're doing upper body. Tuesday and Friday, you're doing lower body. It could be Monday and Thursday, you're doing lower body. And Tuesday and Friday, you're doing upper body. You know, you want to, you could switch it up. But either way, you want to get that level of resistance training in. That's going to really help your muscle mass. And you're going to feel great too doing this. This is going to really help you. And then, you know, really work on your mindset. Try to stay in a, a, an attitude of gratitude. And there are different practices you can do to really practice gratefulness. Keep a daily journal. 
of three things you're thankful for. Write them down every day. Tell someone in your life something you appreciate about them every single day. And then do your best not to complain and silence the negative. And that can be really helpful. Uh, on top of that, we also need to keep our liver, our kidneys, our skin, our lungs um, detoxifying. These are our detoxification pathways. Good hydration is really important for this. Um, sweating, so whether it's exercise or through like a sauna, can be really helpful. Urinating, you got to pee your way to good health. You know, a lot of people, I, I tell them to pick up their water content. You should drink at least half your body weight in ounces of water daily. People are like, well, I've got to go to the bathroom every 90 minutes. And I'm like, that's a good thing. You've got to pee your way to good health. And you need to poop your way to good health. You should be moving your bowels at a minimum of at least one really good time every day. Ideally, like two times, maybe three times a day, moving your bowels, getting rid of the toxins, getting these things out of your system. So important. Probiotics can be really helpful for that. Probiotics in general, a lot of people see really good changes and results with this for helping improve bowel consistency, helping keep the immune system healthy, um, weight loss, and maintaining healthy blood sugar stability. A lot of times probiotics can, can make a big difference here. So probiotics can be helpful. Uh, vitamin D, we talked about optimizing our vitamin D levels, getting out in the sun regularly, and then also supplementing with vitamin D can be really helpful. You know, ideally, again, the optimal range is somewhere between 50 to 100 nanograms per milliliter. For most people, 50 to 70 is great. Uh, if you have a specific disease, we might even want to get you up over 70 to really help activate more of the T helper, T regulatory cells to turn down inflammation. So somewhere between 70 to 100 can be really helpful. Usually you'll get there by, by supplementing with roughly 1,000 international units per 25 pounds of body weight. So if you weigh 200 pounds, that would be about 2,000 international units a day. Uh, I'm sorry, 8,000 international units a day, 1,000 per 25 pounds of body weight. And if you want to really increase your levels, if you're very deficient, you want to increase them quickly, try taking 2,000 international units per 25 pounds of body weight for, let's say, two or three months and then retest and see where you're at. And usually that will get you up into the therapeutic range. Now, EPA and DHA, so your long chain omega-3 fats, this can be another great supplement. So we get these from our wild-caught fish and seafood. This is why I eat you know, wild-caught salmon, for example, quite often. And it's loaded with EPA and DHA, which are really powerful long-chain omega-3s that are great for brain, eyes, um, especially important for good cognitive health, good cognitive function, good blood sugar stability, keeping inflammation under control, your joint, your bone health, cardiovascular health, very important stuff. And you can supplement as well. You can take a omega-3 fish oil supplement. Make sure you're getting a supplement that's molecularly distilled, third-party tested to make sure it's pure. And it should also have a lot of EPA and DHA in it. You ideally want some more, you know, one, a, a single dosage of this fish oil that you're taking, this omega-3, it could be krill oil as well, should have at least one gram of EPA and DHA combined. So if it says, you know, 250 milligrams of EPA and 200 milligrams of DHA, it's really not a very strong dose. It should say something like, 700 milligrams of EPA and 500 milligrams of DHA or something along those lines to really get a good clinical dosage of these long chain omega-3s. You also want to be consuming herbal compounds that help activate autophagy. You can get things like quercetin, which activates autophagy. You find it in things like red onions, cranberries, elderberries. 
ginger, which is in, uh, or six shagayol, which is in ginger, curcumin, which is in turmeric, resveratrol, which is in a lot of our berries and grapes, your EGCG, which is in green tea. That's your epigalactic attentions. Green tea I talked about, dark chocolate, citrus bergamot, so Earl Grey tea, bergamot orange, for example, um, and carnosinic acid, which is in oregano, sage, rosemary, those sort of Mediterranean style, Italian style herbs. So consuming these on a regular basis can be really helpful. And you can take a supplement that has clinical dosages of some of these herbs and other compounds to help reduce inflammation. This We have one called Inflam Defense, which works great. And this has things like proteolytic enzymes, which break down inflammatory cytokines. They help to activate autophagy and break down senescent cells and um, other inflammatory proteins like C-reactive protein. So this is really great for downregulating inflammation. It also has, um, it has, uh, Boswellia, which is Indian frankincense, great for reducing inflammation, curcumin in there, some resveratrol, some quercetin. So a lot of these powerful compounds, ginger for reducing inflammation in the body. And then for really for great skin health and mitochondria and cardiovascular health, I love this resveratrol power. Resveratrol, about 200 milligrams a day, super powerful for cardiovascular health, for skin health, for helping prevent against wrinkles and age spots and things like that, this resveratrol. And then also it, it synergizes because there's quercetin in here as well. So the combination of the resveratrol and quercetin can be really powerful for helping prevent against aging when it comes to circulatory health and oxygen delivery to your cells, your skin health, preventing against wrinkles and age spots and supporting energy production from your mitochondria. So huge on this. And it's also very antiviral, great for the immune system. That's another great supplement, helps activate skin autophagy. So again, if you notice that you're just feel like your skin is aging faster, this can be a really helpful thing to use. And then finally, red light therapy can be a great strategy as well. So red light therapy uses specific frequencies of light. Um, you know, that helps stimulate mitochondrial health, stimulate collagen production. They help reduce inflammation and pain in the body. So, and they also help improve circadian rhythm and sleep. So this is something I like to use regularly. I have a red light therapy device called the MitoRed, which uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for this that you can check out. But it's amazing. You just get in front of that and it will help slow down the aging process in your skin, help support your joints, your circulation, and your mitochondrial health. So I love using red light therapy. Infrared saunas also very can be very, very powerful here as well. So guys, it's been a lot of information. I don't want to overwhelm you, but you know, I really wanted to go through a lot of this stuff. So hopefully you got a lot of value out of this video training. Go ahead and leave a review as well. Your reviews help us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks, guys. And we will see you on a future online training. Be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.